good morning. If you would grab your Bibles and go to uh, the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible, pretty easy to find. And we will be in uh, chapter 5. Um, if you are new this morning or need a little refresher on what we're doing in Revelation, um, way back in chapter 1, Jesus was speaking to John, and he said that he would reveal to John the things that are and the things that must take place. So that this book, uh, the two parts of the book are the things that are currently going on and Jesus' perspective on them and the things that are going to happen in the future. And uh, so far, really, in the book, in chapters 1 through 4, we have seen the things that are. We've seen Jesus uh, present with his churches. We've seen him speaking to his churches. And last week, we saw the Father worshipped on his throne. And uh, in chapter 5, we're going to take a little transition to the things that are going to happen. Uh, And we're going to see the one person who is worthy to close history. So maybe this morning, if you've forgotten that history is actually going to come to a close, or maybe you're nervous about what that looks like, I think this passage will help. We're going to see the goodness and beauty of the one who is running the whole thing. So let's, uh, we're going to read Revelation 5, verses 1 to 14. Uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll talk about it for a few minutes. So notice in verse 1, I saw it, and then I said, oh man, verse 1. Uh, notice the first thing we see is the in the right hand of the of the one sitting on the throne, the Father in His glory. There's a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I'm just going to tell you what this is before we jump in, so you can understand the the reading. So uh, this, and I'll explain this in the lesson. But this scroll, all right, represents the culmination or the completion of human history. All right. So think of the kingdom of God coming, you in glory. And the seals are all the things that have to happen before we get there. Okay, so sorry about that. It's really important. The scroll is the end. All the good things that will happen at the end. Okay, Revelation 5. Try it again. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll? and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, 
And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I uh, just thank you as we see in this passage that you are, are worthy. And uh, just pray as we just see so many images and truths about you this morning that you would make them uh, clear to our understanding. I pray we would leave uh, this room just crying in our hearts that indeed you are worthy. So so come Holy Spirit, um, leave open the scriptures to our understandings and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The journey is more important than the destination says your modern spiritual guru. Don't worry so much about where you're headed. Don't worry about when you're going to get there or accomplish your dreams and goals. Just enjoy the journey. The whole point's the journey. Tell that to a lady giving birth, right? Can you imagine? <laughs> Honey, I know, I know you can't hear me over your screams, okay? But I just want to tell you to enjoy the journey, all right? Don't worry. <laughs> If this baby's going to survive, don't worry if the pain's ever going to be over. Just enjoy the journey. The whole point's the journey. Tell that to, to a guy on a canoe cruising down a river, enjoying himself, heading towards rapids that are certain to kill him. Just enjoy the journey. Don't worry about the destination. Imagine last night, okay, this wasn't me, I was in bed, but imagine a group of football fanatics surrounding this screen kind of like they're worshiping. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, they're watching this intense game, tie ball game, five minutes, fourth quarter. The host stands up, gets in front of the TV and says, turns it off and says, hope you guys enjoyed the journey. You know, <laughs> what would happen? Most likely we would have some weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, in this passage, we see this possibility John the Apostle thinks about what it would be like if life were just about the journey, if the destination weren't important. And his reaction in verse 4 is to weep loudly, to despair, to mourn. Uh, we see here that the, that the destination, that where your life is going, uh, is the most weighty reality for you. We live in the middle of unfinished stories. We become very aware that we are unfinished people. And we're beginning to realize, I hope as you grow, that this life really won't ever satisfy you. We need a destination. And today, we're not quite going to see the destination yet. But we are going to see the only one who is worthy to bring it about. We're going to see... Uh, Jesus Christ as the one who brings the destination to pass. 
So let's see. First, we're going to see just the weight of the destination, the weight of where history is going. So uh, look, look, uh, look again at verse 1. Uh, the first thing we see in Revelation 5, verse 1, is in the right hand of God the Father. All right? uh, and again, if you weren't here last week, uh, Revelation 4 is all about uh, God seated on his throne in glory. He is glorious, worthy, and worshipped. All right, all of heaven is centered on him. All right, but now we see in his right hand, we see a scroll. All right, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. I told you guys before we read that uh, this scroll uh, represented the end. Uh, all those chapters in Revelation 20, 21, 22, the beauty of God with his people in his kingdom. Let me explain uh, why I see it that way. Um, Next week we'll be in Revelation 6, and we will see six of these seven seals opened. And when each seal is opened, something happens. Some seals bring about war, some seals bring about famine, some seals bring about all sorts of things. One seal seems to bring about the gospel. Um, but the idea there is these, uh, first, these first six seals, or really the first five, are all about things that are happening in human history right now. You could just read the news and see the five seals, all right? But then the six seals open, the world ends, and then the seven seal is open, and we enter Revelation 7 to 16, which is a series of visions that seem to be, by all accounts, uh, this period of time, this short period of time right before Jesus returns when all the wheels start falling off. So all that to be said, we'll get there, okay? Uh, you can ask questions as we get there. But if the seven seals as I think, are the events that must happen before Jesus brings the end. On this scroll, what's written on this scroll is the destination of God's people in glory with him, and of course, uh, the judgment that happens before then. It's the end, okay? Um, and it is a great destination. It's an incredible reality, but there's a problem. We see in verse 2, an angel asks a question. But I think if we think about it, we'll see it is a problem. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? Who has the ability, the sufficiency, the worth to be able to bring this destination about? You might think, well, that's an easy question. It's God, okay? Let me make it a little more complicated for you, okay? Um, according to Revelation, the one who brings history to a close has to decide when God's patience for the earth is over, right? Second Peter says that, that the reason the end hasn't come yet is because God is patient towards humanity and he doesn't want anybody to perish, okay? The one who closes history has to decide when the patience is over, when the time comes. Imagine if you had a dream tonight, an angel came to you and gave you a calendar and said, you pick the date. Can you imagine the blood of billions on your hands, right? What it, what, it, what it looks like to give a stop point to the opportunity for salvation. You know, this past Thursday, we were at Connect, and uh, sometimes in Connect, we do uh, brief devotionals on Central Christian Truth. Sometimes we do tough questions. Uh, this past week, uh, Hunter shared us a great testimony, her story, and then I tried to answer a tough question about why God would create a world knowing that in this world, evil and suffering would exist. And uh, I tried. It was hard, but it was, I think, okay. Uh, but then we did some Q&A, and all the questions started to center around, what about lost people? 
person never get to know Jesus? As human beings, we just have this, this angst and this ache, the, the weight of people, right? Who are judged forever. It's a huge thing. The one who closes history has to be worthy to do that, okay? Second, uh, this is maybe even more uncomfortable. The one who brings history to a close must allow his people to suffer. Um, we'll get into this as we get through Revelation. Uh, even next week, though, we'll see when the fifth seal is opened, uh, John sees all of the martyrs of history past who are before God, under God's throne, and they are crying out for justice, for God to bring the kingdom. And God's response is for them to wait until the full number of their brothers who were to be killed comes to completion. The idea is that lots of Christians must die for their faith before the end comes. Uh, me and Sarah are watching this really interesting alternate history show right now. Uh, it, it imagines a world where the Nazis and the Japanese win World War II and split America in half. Um, it's very interesting. But uh, things in the Reich, which is the Nazi kingdom, are mostly uh, very peaceful and fine. And the reason is that all of their enemies, including all Jewish and Christian people, have been murdered. They just killed everyone. And uh, Revelation, at some parts of Revelation, it pictures a world where something like that has happened. We'll get to chapter 12 where it says that the dragon, who represents Satan, was allowed to conquer the saints. The one who closes history has to be worthy to allow that to happen. So there's not an easy answer to this question. We'll see the answer in a minute, okay? But uh, notice in verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Kings, politicians, philosophers, wise men, you and me, we, we don't have the ability. Angelic beings, right? No idea. And it, there's a weight. If history keeps going on and on and on, if you just live and die and that's it, you should just weep, according to John. Before we see the worthy one, let's just talk for a moment about what this passage tells us about history, okay? Uh, the first thing this passage says about history is that it is weighty. That, uh, that the idea that there's a, a world where history does not come to a close, when there's not a conclusion, right? Um, that's a horrible thing. Uh, history is, is weighty. And it's really funny because uh, we live in uh, a world full of the office and of, I don't know if it's GIFs or GIFs. I hear, I hear there's a debate, okay? The, the little animated pictures you send to each other in text messages, okay? Uh, we live uh, in a world where you can just scroll on Facebook and see everyone's non-important things they're doing, right? Um, and all these things tend to trivialize our lives, right? We tend to, we don't say this, like especially if you're a Christian, you won't say this, but you'll tend to kind of live like life is just a, a trivial thing. You enjoy yourself, you do your thing, you work. Hopefully you accomplish some of your goals, right? Uh, but history is heading somewhere weighty. Um, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard this C.S. Lewis quote, especially if you've been at East Cooper. Buster says it, I'd say, once a quarter, okay? Um, it's from the weight of glory, and here's what he says about, about us, okay, and about the weight of being an eternal soul heading somewhere. He says, 
It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible, uh, lowercase g, gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you just hung out with, I'll just insert that, okay? You just did handshake time with. The dullest, most uninteresting person in this room may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Just consider that. All of American history, all right, is to your one eternal life, the life of a gnat, a little bug, right? You have an eternal soul. You are heading somewhere forever. There's a, there's a weight to that. Just take a second and consider afresh the weight and dignity of your life, the weight of what you do with the next 24 hours of your life. And if you're really struggling this morning, right, if you're maybe you like John weeping a little bit, just want to encourage you, there's an end in sight. You see in Scripture, you might be struggling now, you might have questions you never have answered, but there is an end in sight. God brings his kingdom to pass. So, let's see now the one who's worthy to close history. We're going to see Jesus Christ in a very uh, incredible picture here. Uh, take center stage, take the scroll, and begin to bring the end to pass. So notice uh, in verse 5, the answer to John's weeping. One of the elders says, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So first thing the elder says is that the Lion of Judah has conquered. So there's an image for Jesus. We'll see it's Jesus in a second. We'll know for sure. Okay. But uh, it's an image of this warrior king of God's people. You know, lions, we saw one last week. They are the fiercest animals in creation. Lions can bite at 650 pounds per square inch. They can run 50 miles an hour. They can jump 40 feet long. There's a reason they are the king of the jungle. Okay. Uh, but this, uh, this line is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Um, he is uh, Judah, if you're not familiar with the Bible. Judah was uh, the head tribe in Old Testament Israel of God's people. Kings came from the line of Judah. So this particular figure who comes is the warrior king of God's people. It says he's conquered, he's won. His enemies are already defeated, right? But how, but notice that, that John hears about this lion, right? The elders say he hears that it's a lion. But notice what he sees. What John sees will change everything. Verse 6. Between the throne and four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the whole earth. Notice John hears about a lion, this lion who's conquered. But what he sees is a lamb Guys, they put, they put lambs in petting zoos, right? 
they're the most gentle and tender of creatures, right? Uh, this particular lamb has been a slaughtered lamb, a slain lamb. Again, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, uh, if you want, if you sin and want to be right with God and maintain your relationship with Him, what that required was for you to get an innocent animal out of your flock, take it to the temple, uh, place your hands upon it, confess your sin, and then the priest would slaughter it right in front of you. And there's an image there of what the book of Hebrews says. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It was an imperfect system, one that Jesus replaced. But notice, this is the lion who has conquered. He's actually a lamb who, in a sense, has been conquered, right? He's died. He's suffered. Um, Even more complicated, this particular lamb is actually a ram, which is a male sheep, and they're known for their um, head-butting. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which I just think represents complete power knowledge. Right. So let's just pause for a second and meditate on this picture of Jesus Christ. Um, there's a lot of ways you can answer the question, who is Jesus? In fact, I think if there are people in your life you care about who aren't Christians, you should think about how you answer that question, who is Jesus? But uh, the answer from this passage is that it's complicated. I don't know if you guys ever had a, um, if you ever had a, someone ask you a question that you're kind of like not sure about sharing, you're like, you just don't know how to express it, and you're like, you know, it's kind of complicated. Uh, in this passage, Jesus is gloriously and beautifully complicated. Uh, a theologian who lived in America a while ago named Jonathan Edwards once preached an entire sermon on Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6, this lion and lamb. And here was his main point. I'll read it twice because it's a little thick, okay? There is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. There is an admirable conjunction of diverse excellencies in Jesus Christ. Two things. First, yes, theologians used to say things like that, okay? <laughs> they, used to, they used to preach sermons with that kind of language, okay? All right, second thing. Second thing, no, okay? I'll translate, all right? Uh, what, this, what, what these verses tell us is that Different kinds of glory and beauty, kinds that we never see put together in creation, come together in Jesus. Right? A couple of examples. We see different kinds of glory in nature, right? A perfectly calm lake at sunrise has its own kind of glory, right? A roaring waterfall has its own kind of glory. We never see them together, right? A puppy has its own kind of glory, like the fluffy, lick you in the face kind of glory, right? Like, so cute, you know, like watch videos of you all day, like that kind of glory, right? A mountain lion, okay, has a different kind of glory. The I won't lick you in the face, I'll bite your face off kind of glory, right? Like, like this fierce little boys watching the Discovery Channel love it, all the rest of us kind of cringe kind of glory, okay? Uh, we see it in people too. Um, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, right? We see people, typically people who are decisive and strong and really good leaders, have a tendency to be not very sensitive to others, not very compassionate, right? The opposite's true. People who are gentle, compassionate tend to not be very decisive. They're like me. They tend to avoid conflict at all costs. We all have different kinds. But in Jesus, these opposite glories come together in him. These diverse, the strength and might and the victory over his enemies come together with the tender gentleness suffering for his enemies. Um, His kind of glory has the right to destroy evildoers and has the experience of being destroyed 
as if he were an evildoer. And it is precisely because of this unique glory of Jesus that he is worthy to close history. That's the point of this whole passage, that it is this multifaceted, complex, kind of resplendent beauty and glory where all these things we admire that are so different come together in this one figure in Jesus that make him worthy to close history. Um, I said earlier that one of the maybe most difficult things is the one who closes history has to judge humanity and decide, right, when the time of patience is over and when God's wrath is poured out on those who've rejected him, okay? And here's the thing. The one who's going to judge humanity for their sins, who's going to pour out wrath on evildoers, right? He has experienced God's wrath, right? You know, John Piper said in a sermon that, that the, the wrath of the lamb, okay, is going to be a wrath that's experienced wrath. There's going to be tears in his eyes, right? Like God, God's judgment isn't this cold, distant, vengeful kind of thing. No, it's the wrath of Jesus who, who has experienced God's wrath, who's already suffered for evildoers. All right? Who can be worthy to allow God's people to suffer? The one who suffered for them. So, I think my biggest encouragement uh, this morning, just in light of this, is to trust the worthy one with history. Get on your news app or paper if you're very old and kind of anxiously, nervously look at the things happening. You see another, another shooting in our nation. You see all the debate, our political stuff going on. You see just things that try you. You have to be personal things, right? Trust the one who's worthy. Look at your life, the one who rules over your life, who's allowed, everything's allowed to you, right? He is worthy. He knows what he's doing. But don't just trust him. Uh, you have to conquer with him. The theme of this entire book, uh, which if you haven't been here, you haven't seen this yet, but the theme of Revelation, the whole point we get these visions of the future and of the present, is that God's people must conquer with Jesus. In every single letter to the churches, in, in, in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus says, the one who conquers, who overcomes, who perseveres, right? I will give to him eternal life in some symbolic way, right? Um, this book calls us, in whatever we're going to see in these next 10 or 11 chapters, whatever that means for us, to continue to persevere. But here's the key, okay? We conquer like Jesus conquered. You'll see that? We conquer the, the way a slain lamb conquered by submitting himself to God's will, by laying his life down for those people who were God's enemies. The church is not conquered by winning elections. Okay? The church is not conquered by, by having a position of strength and controlling things in a nation. The church is not you do not conquer by feeling strong all the time. You don't conquer by just having pleasant situations that don't lead you into temptation. You conquer by laying your life down. You conquer by laying your life down for people who are God's enemies. So maybe this maybe this week you conquer by doing something I think simple but profound. Maybe you just give a couple of hours 
that you could spend on yourself that you might need for yourself, maybe you give a couple of hours to someone who's far from God. Maybe you lay your life down for them. Maybe, maybe, maybe you pour out your prayers for them. You know, Jesus said uh, in John that greater love has no one than this, that he lay his life down for his friend. Maybe there's somebody in this room you need to lay your life down for. I know we've got relational stuff. I know we've got junk, right? We've got issues. Conquer by laying your life down. The last thing we see here is uh, that this kind of one-of-a-kind, multifaceted glory that makes Jesus worthy to close history also makes him worthy of universal worship. Uh, just first thing to notice, and this is the heart of Christianity, Jesus Christ is worshipped with the Father. So Revelation 4 about God on his throne, glorious, right? A Muslim could read Revelation 4, right, and be perfectly content with it. God is glorious, he's on his throne, he rules. I got that, okay? Revelation 5 paints the picture of what is unique about Christianity. Jesus Christ, who came 2,000 years ago, who now is exalted, the lion lamb, okay? He is worshipped one with the Father. All right, again, worshiping anyone besides God himself is idolatry. All right, we're in heaven where we're glorified here. In this passage, people don't commit idolatry, and they're worshiping Jesus. Just a sidebar here, if you're interested in this, uh, notice that both the Father, this is uh, Revelation 4, verse 5, and the Son, Revelation 5, uh, verse 6, they both are full of the Spirit. So here we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit worshiped as one. Just a sidebar there. We're believing in the Trinity is really important. But notice, uh, this worship of Jesus is focused on what he has done in the gospel. After Jesus takes the scroll from God, taking control of history, right? Uh, all of the worship leaders from Revelation 4 fall down and worship him in verse 9 and 10. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe, language, and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This, this song kind of puts the gospel to song. Um, notice that the first item on the worship list, the first reason he's worthy is because he was slain. That's the center of the gospel. If you're wondering what, what's the gospel all about, okay? The gospel is all about God's son slain. Jesus Christ, God himself, right, on a cross, bearing the wrath of God, pouring out his blood and life for sinners. That's the central message of the gospel. That's the heart of Christianity. He did it for you. Okay, notice uh, notice the, the, the purchase of the gospel. Why did Jesus die? This is the second part of verse 9. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. Uh, the cross is a ransom, which is a fancy way of saying a purchase. The scriptures tell us elsewhere that, that uh, all people before Christ are slaves to sin. They're slaves to the devil. Jesus' death pays for your life. It pays to have you as gods. Notice uh, it's also a universal gospel from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Um, gospel is not just for white, middle, upper-class Americans, right? Uh, it's not just a Western gospel that doesn't make sense to other religions, right? It's a universal gospel. Uh, every nation, Christians do missions because 
Jesus purchased people from every nation. Uh, And finally, notice the results of the gospel. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Presently, anyone in this room who's trusted Christ is already a part of the kingdom and is a priest to God. Priests were the people who had the most access to God's presence, who represented people before God. That's you if you know Jesus. And this last part, they shall reign on the earth. People who trust Jesus are future rulers of the universe. You want significance, right? You want responsibility, you want authority. You love power. Being a Christian means you're going to be a future ruler of the universe. So I just want to say, if you are, uh, if you know you're far from God, or if you've been doing the church thing for a while, but it's been a long time since you've really known Jesus, I just want to say, don't you want in on this? Don't you know this is available to you? Jesus was slain so that wherever you are, right, from whatever place you come, whatever background, sins, economic status, wherever you're at, you can just come, embrace him and trust him, and this is yours, right? A part of the kingdom, one of God's priests, ruling over the earth. He's available. You know, John, John 6, 37, all right? Jesus says, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast away. Anyone. The offer is free, but you have to come, right? The Bible says we come by faith. Faith is simply reliance upon Jesus. You trust in the slain lamb. But notice uh, this gospel uh, is not just the way to heaven, okay? It is the joy of heaven. What are they, what are they celebrating here, right? Uh, what, what are they singing about? They're singing about uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. You don't get over the gospel. Just notice, uh, um, first we see the glorified saints and the four living creatures from Revelation 4 worshiping. But when Jesus comes on the stage and the gospel is celebrated, all of a sudden the worship becomes universal. Look at verse 11. Around the throne and living creatures, there is the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. That expression is simply the biggest number someone reading Greek could have read. Think of me saying 500 quintillion bajillion, okay? It's a lot, okay? You can't, you can't number them, okay? Um, these angels join in to sing worthy is the Lamb. And then in verse 13, we go from all the angels in heaven to every created being in the universe. Verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all that is in them, say to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So it's the gospel. It's this truth about the lion, lamb, slain for sinners that takes the worship of God universal. Um, If you're a Christian, if you know Jesus Don't you know that the gospel of Jesus is endlessly magnificent? That it never gets old or dull if you're seeing it properly. That it's not, again, it's not the way to heaven. It's not just the way to heaven. It is the joy of heaven. It's what you're going to be celebrating forever. It's what you should be celebrating with your whole Christian life. All right, the gospel's not the, uh, I think this is uh, J.D. Greer said, it's not the diving board into the pool, okay? The gospel's the pool. It's the whole Christian life. Um, 
It is infinitely treasurable. Maybe it's been a while, if you're a believer, since you've really seen it. Maybe you need to meditate on Jesus. You will see the depth of the love of God, the power of God, and the beauty of God. You'll find all your needs met. Come afresh. So, uh, this morning, we've seen a little bit. We haven't seen the destination yet. But we've seen the destination is everything. Where history is going is important. So we close, I just encourage you to take a new look at your life and your world and your circumstances. When you look at another crazy, terrible news story, I want you to think to yourself, the worthy one is guiding, is using this, this horrible thing, okay, to guide and rule and to bring history to this good place. When something happens to you personally that wrecks your life or when you blow it, all right, I want you to think to yourself, the worthy one, right, who's beautifully magnificent, he's taking this and he's using this to bring history to a good place. If you can live there, you will probably find yourself crying out worthy. Let's pray. Lord, uh, you ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be the song in our hearts and that you would enable us, even just in about 30 minutes, to celebrate the gospel uh, with all that we are. Um, I just particularly pray that you would give us your view of events and history and our stories, that you would convince us that you really are worthy to guide and direct. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.